and welcome to Elevating Founders, a podcast for early stage founders to hear the stories behind the change makers and disruptors in the tech sector who are responsible for tackling the world's biggest challenges. Brought to you by London Tech Week and Founders Forum. Hi everyone, I am really excited to release this episode today. We have Asha Haji, co-founder and COO of Framework, speaking to Eric Collins, CEO of ImpactX. And they have such an honest and authentic conversation. I really know it will leave budding entrepreneurs and education enthusiasts with so many takeaways. They cover so much in half an hour, it's hard to fit this into a short summary, but I'll try to recap. They talk about how Asha has pivoted drastically from both a personal and professional standpoint through the pandemic, why she believes education is a superpower, and how making an impact in her career is so important to her. Asha has an unparalleled insight into the future of education, and she dives into how the sector was set for disruption. And by embracing this new paradigm, her new business framework was born. Big thanks to Asha for being so open about her anxiety around the pivot, how she even experienced mourning when remodeling her previous business, Founders Academy. Now over to Eric to kick off the episode. Enjoy. So I'm here today with one of London's finest, someone who I can um, have the privilege of calling not only a um, colleague in the ecosystem of tech, but also a friend. I mean, Asha Haji. And Asha, welcome to the program. Thank you, Eric. So Asha, if I can embarrass you for just a few minutes with all of your, some of the highlights from your resume, I wanted to make sure that we did talk about why I think that you are one of the most unique individuals out there. Few people have your experience and insight into the future of education and have been participating at your level. So if you just pull those pieces, I'm not going to go to Harvard Business School. I'm not going to go to the other many things that you've done, all the speaking engagements you've done and all the expert advice that you've been given and you know, peppering around the world. Instead, I'm gonna just talk about the future of education and the roles that you've played. There was education first. You spent six and a half years there. School Apply, you spent a year there. Founders Academy, you've been there for two years. And Framework, which is more recent, is another space, all of which are centered around this idea and this concept of an evolving educational approach and delivering information. I do want to ask an initial question, Asha. Why is it that education has been your focus? Yeah, that's a really great question. Uh, it's been my focus for a long time. So even uh, before everything that you mentioned, uh, I also, uh, went, while I was at Harvard Business School, every single thing I did around social impact was around education as well, too. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I literally... Uh, spent my January term in uh, the closet of a charter school in New Orleans with other classmates and, and mm -hmm. helping them figure out a hybrid learning model for the charter school network uh, uh, based out of there. And for me, quite honestly, education has always been a value, a family value that I've grown up with. And I felt, you know, in life, no matter what anyone can take away from you, uh, they can take your money, they can take your status, they can, you know, they can take away, you know, aspects of your reputation if they wanted to. They can't take away your education. They can't take it away. Um, and that's something that I think is very powerful. It, it's something that allows people to get access to spaces and places 
that they otherwise uh, couldn't. And for me, growing up in my family where we valued education so much and we saw it as uh, not only a pathway, but also as just a way to empower all of us to open up our minds about what we could do, what's possible in the world, um, just made, frankly, it a, a passion of mine that I always wanted to pursue. Um, so I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm just, the short answer is I'm a nerd, Eric. I like, I like learning <laughs> and, and I, uh, I, I really feel that, um, whenever I learn something new, whenever I discover something new about a new topic, it just enlightens me and enlivens me about what is possible in the world. And, and so I just want to share that passion with everyone that I engage with and, and make my work meaningful. I love hearing you talk about they can't take that away from me, which feels, uh, and then the investment approach on an individual perspective. And that feels like it is a defense against anything. It's your, it's your great superpower to have that education. It's interesting to me though, that you have then made it into, it's an industry for you also. Mm -hmm. It's not just a personal passion. That's it's right. not just a family value. It is actually an industry. And why did you choose? You could have chosen any industry. You're coming out of Harvard Business School after yeah. all. <laughs> any industry is possible. You could be on Wall Street right now. Why, if we're yes. talking about fast growth companies, and you've been with these fast growth companies, and um, uh, Education First is a huge company, billions of, yeah. uh, in revenue annually. Why is it that education is a space where a fast growth operating exec like you should spend time. And people might not know that you, you've had technical roles as well as high level yes. executive and operational roles in the space. Why is it that you spend your time there? You're not with me. At, you weren't with me at uh, Touch Surgery. You weren't with me at, um, currently at ImpactX. So why are you education? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think education is the great multiplier, right? So um, if you always hear the saying, right, if you give a man a fish, he has one fish. If you teach a man to fish, he, you know, he can fish for life, right? Mm -hmm. And so for me, what I care a lot about um, when it comes to my career and where I can make an impact is where I can have the highest impact. And I feel mm -hmm. education allows you to empower others to do amazing work, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so when I was at EF, uh, Education First, the products I worked on uh, initially were all about educational travel. So mm -hmm. young people going abroad and having uh, international experiences through, you know, their high schools, their universities, and the stories that we heard from decades of customers that we had worked with and how they've grown up and uh, essentially changed their lives in, the, in those moments that they were abroad uh, and, and changed the direction of what they wanted to study, what did they want to do with their careers, wh where they wanted to lay roots in their lives, and how all of those people coming together, bridging gaps, you know, bringing worlds together, uh, had such a monumental effect on the lives of the people that we were serving. You can see the ripple effect of, of that work, right? You can see that the work you're doing is going to have exponential effect on society. Right. Mm -hmm. And so for me, you know, I could work in finance and I don't want to downplay anybody, uh, anybody's purpose if they're working in finance, but there's a lot of parts of finance that are zero sum, right. It's, mm -hmm. it's moving some money from one coffer to the next. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and yes, money obviously makes the world go around in terms of people being able to, uh, have investments and in projects that are, that are meaningful as well too. So, I mean, there's a lot around social impact investing. You, you, you know, you work in that space. But I think when it comes to giving people education and knowledge and, uh, and allowing to spread that in mass, um, for me, 
I know my talents, my uh, career could be uh, centered in all sorts of areas. And I chose something that I think was always going to get me out of bed and feeling like I had purpose. If I could look myself in the mirror every day and say, no matter how hard this job is, no matter how difficult the challenges are, everything I'm doing is going to have a positive impact on the people that I'm serving. It's worth it. And I've been lucky enough to work on products that actually change people's lives. Like I know a lot of people like to say their product changes people's lives. They're like, oh, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I create uh, mouse pads. It changes people's lives, you know, carpal tunnel. It's like, okay, sure, fine. Uh, <laughs> you know, that, that's, a, that's a great noble pursuit in its tiny way. The products that I've worked on are products that people talk about all the time for the rest of their lives. They, they talk about it as life-changing. Uh, and to me, that's a really unique experience to be able to do that for people. And I think what you're saying, Asha, particularly during this London Tech Week, the Elevating Founders Program, I think that that is the kind of elevation that would be useful for a founder, looking yourself in the mirror every day and understanding that a founder life is hard and that the hard elements can be made a little less taxing if what you're toiling for is something with a purpose. That's, that's lovely. Um, may I move on to another subject? Asha, because there's so much in this in your background. (laughs) I I can't think of a person, Asha, who is more well positioned to talk about this idea of pivoting. And you know, pivots are these key moments, uh, whether forced or by choice, that are substantial and often fundamental in terms of the change dynamics that they that they create within people and within individuals. Because what was working for some period of time is no longer working. Mm-hmm. So what I wanted to ask you about, Asha, is I wanted to ask you about three different pivots and your perspective and experience with these. And in the mm. short term, I really want to talk with you a little bit about your personal pivots, mm-hmm. your company pivots. And I really want to separate your personal from your professional. So I also mm-hmm. do want to get to your mm-hmm. professional, okay. but I'd like to separate that sure. out if you don't mind. Can we start with the personal pivot. And I wanted to talk with this with you about this in terms of how has lockdown been mm. for you? Yeah. So yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's really what I want to talk about. And has that created a pivot experience? Yeah. I mean, lockdown has been tough for everybody, but I think it's definitely been something that's been um, a uniquely um, interesting experience for me as well, too. So, so I think for me as an individual, uh, during lockdown, I, well, for starters, I, I moved to London about seven years ago. Uh, and I live in the heart of the city and I'm a big city girl, right? I love living in big cities. I love, uh, the opportunity to engage in culture and the arts and, uh, be around people all the time. I love people watching. I'm one of the rare people who actually likes public transportation because I can see people and see, you know, just, you know, the world, <laughs> uh, on the bus or, uh, you know, on the two and um and just that feeling of energy right that that's why i love new york that's why i love london that's why i love uh live my time my time in chicago and and all of that just went away right it, it went away just like that where we were all stuck in our our tiny boxes and and uh and fear uh really uh kind of sat at the core of our existence right it's like i'm afraid of going outside maybe i'll get sick maybe i'll make somebody else sick um so for me personally Lockdown was really a testament to how much I 
could have some mental fortitude, uh, being mm. without the things that I, that I truly cared about, um, when it came to my uh, daily existence and, um, and then also reframing what mattered to me as well too. So before lockdown, I live in Spitalfields before lockdown, mm. I didn't spend a lot of time in my own neighborhood, right? Like I actually ran around London all the time. I was always out in you know dinner parties and events with friends. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, since lockdown has begun, I've really got a good handle on everything happening in my neighborhood. I know every nook and cranny, every mm-hmm. every walking path. And I used to think that I should pay a lot of money to go to an expensive gym and, you know, that it, there were all these barriers around things like fitness um, that, that you had to put a lot of investments in that. Since lockdown, I've taken up running again. And that's been years since I've done that outside. Um, and, and it's free. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and I also, uh, have invested in free home fitness, right. Um, mm-hmm. engaging in a lot of fitness programming that exists, um, that exists online. And I've been better about cooking at home as opposed to eating out as much as I used to before. Uh, I had a really, really bad delivery habit before <laughs> lockdown <laughs> that I've cut down on quite a bit. Um, and so in some ways, um, you know, there's, there's parts of my, my identity and my existence that I miss. And I'm looking forward to returning to around social engagement and and being a city person. But I think there's also a lot that I've learned about myself in terms of how much I thought I needed to outsource things that, that I didn't need to outsource and that I could create some real serenity in my own experience at home through, you know, a little bit more of these smaller investments and investments in myself. It's a wonderful answer, quite frankly. And, you know, that's that pivot that you've made into a sort of within that box, you know, that small, those tiny boxes that we call our apartments and our homes, and then making that more of a space that's actually inviting, meaning that we cook there, we do other sorts of things there, and that those neighborhoods then become consequential also. And that's how we pivoted some of our personal engagement in the world. I, I, I do love that. And I wanted to ask you, does your, is there a corollary in terms of company, in terms of a recent experience? So as I look mm-hmm. at your background and I think about where I have seen you, I, I first met you when you were at School Apply and then maybe even a little bit before that, then I know I've been um, here for the journey for Founders Academy. And then recently there appeared this thing called framework. So that began yeah. to be a conversation. So in the short, again, thinking about the recent past, a pivot and sort of why the pivot, how the pivot came about, and why is pivoting not only a challenge, but why is it the right answer? Why, why did yeah. you decide? Because I'm not confident that I know that you had to pivot. I mean, I know you, and I know sure. you as an operating exec. I don't know that you had to pivot. So explain just a little bit of that, the how and the why and why that was the right answer and how you did it. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, And and you're right. I don't think we had to necessarily pivot. I think Mm -hmm. it was more that there was a current um, that really drew us to, uh, drew us in that direction, right? And I, and I think for us, just so people understand the the background of of what we worked on and where we were at uh, as Founders Academy. So 
We started two years ago as an alternative MBA program. It's a full-time program, free for the participants in the program. It's a nine-month uh, program where it's three months of classroom experiences and six months of a placement. And we essentially created a program for people to make, make a transition in their careers into the world of tech scale-ups. And we partnered with a whole host of amazing companies uh, across the, the London tech ecosystem. Mm-hmm. We had a huge demand for this program. Over a thousand people applied. Uh, we had um, over 70 faculty operators from across the ecosystem help us create our curriculum and just incredible partners uh, from the likes of Depop and Bulb and CallSign and FarmDrop and Ada Health, uh, Beta Mojo and more, uh, Coro Kids. Uh, all these companies helped us as placement partners as well too, and, and they had great success with, with the associates. Um, we could have run it again. We could have run it again. Um, and, and we were very happy to continue on this path of running Founders Academy uh, in the future. However, we saw two real interesting trends uh, happening that we thought uh, gave us pause and, and made us decide to really think this through uh, and, and potentially take the business in a different direction, which we ultimately decided to do. The first was, um, you know, with the pandemic, uh, there was obviously a, a bit of a skittishness or cautiousness around the idea of people quitting their jobs in the middle of a mm-hmm. pandemic, um, people doing something full-time in a risky uh, space like tech scale-ups. And while we had plenty of demand, even in the midst of all of that, we were also concerned as well, too, when you know, some of our partners were furloughing people at the time, that we really were going to put people in a position where that might be a bit risky with their careers. And we, we felt... Uh, you know, a duty of pastoral care for these people and their careers and, and wanted to make sure that we were, uh, you know, not putting them unduly in a position that they, they shouldn't be in. Um, that being said, uh, and, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, we would have been fine. But um, the bigger thing that we noticed was that when we were running the program, a lot of our partners said to us, hey, Asha, Ria, I love the associate that you've brought me. Um, but I really like the curriculum that you're exposing them to. I wish the rest of my company could be exposed to that curriculum as well, right? Like mm-hmm. that would be that would be really helpful for us. We we need something like this. Um, and we're like, okay, well, you know, we'll try to send you more associates in the future, and they'll spread the word, you know, about the mm-hmm. curriculum, and we'll see if we can expose you in that way. Um, so so that was something that was burning in our ears. And then the other thing that was burning in our ears was just the constant conversations and chatter around virtual learning, people becoming way more comfortable with virtual learning, people becoming more intrigued and engaged about how education needs to be disrupted, right? We were disrupting education already, but you saw such a reckoning during Mm -hmm. this pandemic where people were really questioning the value of these bloated uh, educational experiences um, and and what really is the value for people in their careers and, 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 and what investments do people think is worthy of their time going forward. And this new medium, not so new medium of, of technology and, and internet, um, but this medium of technology uh, for learning started becoming way more appealing in the last six months uh, than it was um, prior to that. And so we realized that we've had this demand from our customers. They're asking us for this. We're seeing the sea change in, in the markets. Um, and we also realized that there's a bit of a current running against our original program to a degree. Why don't we make a move? And and that's what we decided to do. And those are 
very good factors. You've done, you did some market research, you, and you've got a validation around a new sort of a model. You had a pipeline that was associated with that. So that you're de-risking the movement from one, from pivot from one place to another. So I see all of that. Those are very intellectual sort of activities. And, <laughs> sure. and I'm very interested as whether or not your, your head went over to mine would be my stomach. I get nervous in my stomach. Sure. Whether or not there was any of that nervousness in terms of what this would mean. You said a little bit about hindsight's twenty twenty. So you could have continued down yeah. the same road. It wasn't as if the market would have thrown you out and it would have been proven. Your initial business model would have been proven absolutely defunct. However, I'm fascinated as to how the head and, and again, my situation, the gut come together in this situation and how anxiety provoking or how it's just an easy sort of a movement from point A to point Z. Yeah, no, pivots are very anxiety inducing. <laughs> you know, you don't just change your whole business model and just say, all right, that's it. We're, we're doing this now and, and mm-hmm. no, no stress in that process. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, look, I, I think for me, you know, there's this, there's this framework that I've, I've spoken about in the past. Um, it's called the pivot pyramid. And, you know, when you're at the bottom of that pyramid, you're changing, you know, the entire problem that your business solves, right? So that's like a radical pivot. And then above that is a solution. And then above that, you know, is, is really like the product. And then there's the, um, there's the tech and then there's the growth right around it. Mm-hmm. And, um, or actually I should say at the very bottom is the customer that you're serving, right? Like, are you serving different customer, you know, problem, solution, tech and growth. And when you're at the bottom, when you're a small company, you can get away with making radical changes to your business and it being less jarring than if you're at a bigger company. That's a got, that's got a bit more of uh, a going concern <laughs> nature to it. It has a bit more uh, of a track record around product market fit. They're, the stakes are higher. When you're, when you're smaller, when you're a newer business, you can get away with um, changing things and being more being more creative, being more uh, imaginative about what your business could be, right? And the truth of the matter is, Eric, I was thinking about an online product right from the beginning with with mm-hmm. Founders Academy. I, I always wanted us to have a global uh, footprint. I always wanted us to do something like this. Um, but the catch was, was when we were going to do it and how mm-hmm. were we going to do it? And were we going to do it in parallel with the program? And I think because the pandemic was already something that was so jarring for everybody, mm-hmm. right? You could have a response where it's so jarring. So you just want to hold on to anything that gives you control. That's one response you can have, which I've definitely had in, in some aspects of my life. Um, but there's also another response that you can have, which you can say, Hey, there's a new, there's a new paradigm now. How do I adjust to this new paradigm mm-hmm. and try to find something that makes sense in, in this new world? So it's a chance everything's being thrown up in the air and it's a chance to look around and say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to make a change that, uh, is bold Mm -hmm. because we're in a world where bold changes can and should happen. Um, and so in terms of the daily response of doing that, I think what ended up happening when, when I look back at that time of us making this decision to pivot was Mm -hmm. we had to slowly peel off the old it was a daily practice, right? And we had to mourn everything we were peeling off, you know, and 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 taking away. Uh, so it would be like, oh, we're not going to do that anymore. Oh, that's a bit sad. Okay, and then yeah. you come to grips with it, and then you're like, oh, we're not going to do that anymore. Okay, 
all right, let's come to grips with it. And, and so it wasn't, it wasn't a, a dramatic switch because it was our own decision. We had time and runway. Um, but I think it, it, it was a process over, I think a few months of emotionally, you know, moving forward to the new, but, but I think the other thing too, is just keep in mind, the new sounds really exciting. The new sounds really fun and really mm-hmm. interesting. And there's a lot of opportunity, you know, humans love novelty, right? Um, I, I know I do. And so for me, there's a lot of hope and, uh, and a possibility when you're building something new. And, and, and to me, I think that excitement outweighed the, um, you know, the sadness of letting go of something you built. Great. Um, is it possible, Asha, for us to put into the chat area the peer, uh, a reference to the pivot pyramid? Because I think that you, you reference this and it might be very useful. So someplace that we can actually make sure that, people, that folks can get at that and sort of um, understand these founders that are, on the, that are listening to this can actually get some of that. May I ask you a final question then about pivot, which has to do with then professional pivots? Yes. So we've talked about personal that was sensational, especially we did that in the, co- in the context of COVID. COVID actually impacts company because, you know, just like FTSE 100 or just like um, Wall Street, people can say it's, it's a time of change. So we can do all sorts of things and we can get rid of all sorts of other practices and we can fast forward things by five, 10 years. It would never have happened before. Do things would never have happened before. So that's great for a pivot. Um, professionally, have you had pivots professionally? I know that you have been in the C-suite for a number of organizations. Um, and I wondered how you thought about pivots in that world and in that set of decisions and that set of experiences. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've had a number of pivots in my career. So uh, so chapter one of my career was uh, being a, a software engineer, an IT manager. Uh, and in that time, I really was thinking about how do I build things that I think are going to have impact, right? Mm -hmm. How do I build uh, software that I think uh, and solutions that I think are engaging and are going to reach a lot of people? And how do I think about entrepreneurship and um, creativity in a way that's going to fuel me in my career, Mm -hmm. right? And so I taught myself how to code when I was 12. I studied computer science. I worked as a software engineer and IT manager back in Chicago. Uh, but I think the first pivot really for me that I, when I started really embracing, maybe I could do something outside of that, which was something that I'd committed to for about 15 years. Right. Um, was, um, was when I worked on a project for a nonprofit in Chicago and we were essentially working on a website, uh, for a charity, uh, and in that project, it was a pro bono project with a bunch of other volunteers, I got exposed to somebody who was doing marketing. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I thought to myself, I don't know what marketing is. I thought it was just ad, ads on TV. I, I didn't really even know beyond, what, beyond that what that meant. And I saw this woman on the project team talking about customer psychology, talking about like, what do people feel? What do they think? What are we, what are we hoping people, uh, what are we hoping to, to change about people's behavior? And I was just mesmerized. I was like, this is such cool stuff that she's thinking about uh, the way people think and and how to motivate them and, and how what we're building could change people's behaviors. And I was just like, I have to learn about marketing. This is so interesting. And so I ended up enrolling in a marketing certificate course at the University of Chicago. It's an eight-month program uh, taught in the evenings by uh, a lot of senior executives, marketing executives um, in Chicago. 
Uh, and I learned a ton. I loved it. And I thought to myself again, this is back 2007, 2008. I thought the internet and marketing, this is, this is going to be big. Like I, mm-hmm. I should be a part of that. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, this is, you know, social media hadn't really taken off as anything that you could monetize at that point. Um, and, and so I thought I could be at the cusp of, of bringing these, these areas together. And I loved the fact that that all happened while I was doing something for a charity. So I thought I should do that in a way that's going to create good in the world. Right. And And I think from there, I ended up going to Harvard Business School, figuring out that I, I didn't know the word for what I wanted to be. It ended up being product manager. I didn't, I didn't know that that's what that was called, but, um, but I studied digital marketing, digital strategy and product. And I ended up at EF after that, where I I started off heading product, but then at EF, Eric, I saw that all the people who ran businesses knew sales. They all, they were all the people who uh, who were running the businesses who were being essentially internal entrepreneurs. They all knew how to have a commercial, you know, noose, right. That I didn't have. And so I immediately said, Hey, I want to, I want to jump into the sales team and, and start running, running sales so that I could eventually run a product within this business. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my boss was like, well, you know, you don't have any background in that at all. So why don't we start you in marketing? And, and, and then I eventually sort of weaseled my way into sales after a few years, uh, also doing some work in talent as well too. And and that's what brought me to, to London. Um, so even within EF, I had a lot of pivots. I was doing product, I was doing sales, I did marketing, and I also, uh, did talent acquisition as well globally. Um, and then from there, after I paid off my loans from my MBA and, and I really wanted to get into that entrepreneurial space, uh, I, I eventually, uh, as you know, moved over to school apply and I was with another startup as well too, um, heading up their people function. And that was a really great chance to then bring everything all together in smaller organizations, right? So that, that pivot from corporate into startups, high growth, fast, you know, fast growing, high impact startups. And, and for me, the learnings around how to create systems that essentially don't exist from nothing, how to work with international teams. Uh, School Apply was fully distributed around the world. I had engineers in Colombia engaging with engineers in the Philippines and uh, Bangalore and Dubai, um, how to, how to, how to work with people uh, to drive change quickly and to pivot in terms of strategy quickly uh, based on international, you know, trends and dynamics. all of that was a huge learning and it really was a big identity shift coming from corporate to, to startups. And then finally, the final shift was me being the COO and co-founder of my own startup, which was Founders Academy and now Framework. And I think professionally, going from being a scale-up leader in the C-suite of a scale-up uh, in the C-suite of uh, you know, bigger corporates to then being um, the co-founder and the creator of a business that is essentially nothing and building it from something, um, was a whole different professional experience as well too. And, you know, I fully appreciate, uh, the work of the founders that I was, uh, engaging with prior to my time being a founder. And that I realized how much effort goes into building every single process, every single aspect of your business is something that someone thought about for days sometimes weeks, sometimes months on end. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there was an, intention, an intentional approach to creating that business from scratch. Um, 
I just fully appreciate every little thing we do because of the fact that we have to think about it from scratch. <laughs> and, 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 and it's such a, uh, it's such a gift to understand and appreciate how great businesses uh, thrive because you realize that there's somebody who really had to put all of that into motion and that it's not something you'd want to take for granted. Um, and so I look back at the companies that I worked for that were excellent in terms of culture and processes and people. And I realized that that was because of a lot of incredible ingenuity um, from the leaders of those organizations and from the founders. So when I listen to all of that, Asha, I listen to your three, the three different categories in which we talked about pivots. It seems as though the professional is one that is all about energy and there's not a lot of anxiety there. There's new things. There's, it's, it's all very attractive. It's like the magnet pulling. Whereas with the personal and the company pivots, those can feel a little bit more traumatic for the people who are participating and ultimately in some ways the founders that you right. find yourself in those space. It's, it's interesting to just listen to you and listen to sort of the cadence of your voice, look, watching you talk about them. It's a little different in terms of each one of those. And so I, I do, I, I, I'm glad that we, that we broke this into pieces. Based on, I forgot to say something. I forgot to say um, Ramadan Karim. <laughs> Thank you, Ramadan Karim. <laughs> Thank you. I got, I got, I got my pronunciation's getting better. But I wanted to ask as a final piece, because I do think that you wrap this up beautifully. Is there anything as you're a founder, you're, you're a co-founder in your second organization, which is you know a transformation of the first organization that you founded. Is there anything that you would say to the elevating founders audience about that you think is a nice sort of a culmination of your set of experiences to this point? That's a great question. <laughs> um, I would say that, you know, as you're, as you're going through the founder experience and you, you have a lot of choices about how you spend your time, I think int intentionality about time is something that we talk about a lot. My co-founder and I is like, what, what are we spending our time on every day? What are we spending our time on every week, every, you know, every month, et cetera. But as you think about that intentionality and, and how you're spending your time, really go back to the core if you're a founder of what are you passionate about? What's your purpose? Why are you getting up in the morning? Why are you looking in the mirror and, um, and, and saying this is what you should be doing with your time? Because if you don't have a good answer for that, the stamina that's required to, to get through these difficult uncharted waters of this world we're living in right now, none of us expected, to, to be in the position that we're in right now with COVID. Um, if you don't have that, you're, you're not gonna get through this and you're not going to be able to produce work at the quality and the level that you, that you need to, to, to win. And we put in the extra time, we put in the extra effort, we put in, you know, we always go that extra mile with everything we do because we deeply, deeply believe that the problem we're solving needs to be solved and that it has to be solved by us. Um, and I think that passion is something that you really want to check uh, because your time is so important and that you should be spending on something that matters for you and for the world. And, and it's something you should be thinking about all the time saying, am I truly working on things that matter? And am I spending my, the right time in my limited time on earth doing something that is meaningful to me and to others. 
So where I come from in the American South, when someone makes a statement like that, Asha, you always end with a big amen. (laughs) Amen. Amen. And and so thank you very much, Asha, the co-founder and COO of Framework and all around fantastic person. I know the people from London Tech Week, as well as those participants in the Elevating Founders Program will gain a lot from the insights that you've shared, especially around pivoting. So thank you for that and your time today. Thanks, Eric. Really appreciate it. Where can we find you, Asha? Uh, You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm on there often. So just Asha Haji, A-S-H-A-H-A-J-I. Uh, I'm also on Twitter as well, too. So also Asha Haji. So you can find me in both of those places. All right. Remember the name Framework and watch this space because there are going to be interesting things that you're going to be hearing about Framework in the coming quarters and years. Again, have a great day, Asha. Keep pivoting. Thanks, Eric. That's it for this week's episode of Elevating Founders. If you have any questions or comments, head over to our social channels linked in the show notes to join the conversation or email us at elevatingfounders@informa.com. If you enjoyed this episode, we would really appreciate it if you could rate and subscribe to our podcast. See you next time.